The views and opinions expressed during this show do not necessarily reflect the, the policy, policy or position of any affiliated workplace or employer. The views and opinions of the show do not constitute recommendations for therapy. Please, Please contact, contact a licensed SLP for individual consult on your situation. Please listen carefully. What is communication? An essential behavior of life. We have the both blessing and responsibility of trying to foster another. It's transmitting a thought from one person to another. It's the strongest way for two people to convey information to each other. The back and forth between two people. Communication is a lifeline. It's just connection with other people. Connecting people in terms of ideas or thoughts or needs. Draws us out of ourselves, draws us into that relationship, you know, builds up our families. Without it, we'd be lost. Whatever it is that we do to express intent and achieve an impact. Communication is the ability to express your needs, wants, frustrations, and desires to anyone that you feel needs to have that information. Welcome to Speech Science, episode number 149, one episode away from 150. I'm Matt Hott, a school-based uh, speech and language pathologist here in Ohio, also doing home health care uh, with adults in dementia and stroke rehab, joined by the executive functioning guru himself, Michael McLeod in Philadelphia. What's up, buddy? Did you see Jalen Hurts almost got hurt by the stadium in Washington? I did. Uh, Jalen Hurts, uh, I'm, I am not an Eagles fan whatsoever, uh, as, you, as you guys should know by now. <laughs> Uh, so, but, uh, he did, uh, he did handle that with some class. For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, as he was walking off the field in Washington, uh, Jalen Hurts is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. The gate fell down right in front of him. And in the state of Texas, where we got to see University of Cincinnati go toe to toe against Alabama, but come up just slightly short, our pediatric SLP, Michelle Wintering. How's it going, Matt? Hey, your Buckeyes won. They did. That I didn't even get to watch that game, but um, yeah, when I looked at the score, they were not doing so great, and then they pulled it out at the end. So. And what makes it better as a Buckeye fan? Uh, Harbaugh lost so bad for Michigan that I've heard the rumors that he'll be leaving Michigan to go coach the Chicago Bears in the NFL. So Ooh. Jim gets his only win against the Buckeyes in 12 years and then gets trounced in a playoff game and quits. <laughs> how about, so, but one thing though, how about those Bengals? Who day, baby. We are in the playoffs for the first time since 2015. And we are on air for the first time in 2022. And I'm excited because on today's episode, Michelle, you had a chance to speak to Presence Learning, correct? I did. I know we've been kind of selling this an episode or two ago. And with the holidays, we've got a bit of a gap, but um, I was able to sp speak with Kristen from Presence Learning again, who, if you remember three years ago, I interviewed her about teletherapy. And then a year after that interview, less than um, teletherapy, obviously just majorly took off. We had a pandemic. Us, right. With the pandemic. So I had a chance to reconnect with her and find out about what Presence Learning did and changed and a new platform extension that they've created um, that we're going to be doing a giveaway for actually. Yes. And that website is giveaway.speechsciencepodcast.com. Go to there. You can put in your name and email address, giveaway.speechsciencepodcast.com. 
Also today, we're going to talk about the predictions the Hill.com made about special education in 2022, some research on speech intelligibility, as well as checking in with the informed SLB. Uh, we do have a due process and an SSPod shout out, and of course, our ASHA spotlight. But before we do all that, I want to give you the digits and how to reach us uh, make sure you head to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com, and email us, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. And of course, the Discord is open, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Before we get to the current hosts, we are also uh, in the process of accepting applications, air tapes, I guess, uh, to get a fourth host on air, and those are due uh, to us by January 24th. So find your favorite article and record yourself talking about it for somewhere between two and five minutes. We have short attention spans. Uh, and-, and like Matt said, don't worry about <laughs> recording your face. We we need to hear your voice. So Yes, you can record the wall and stand behind it and just record yourself just talking about the article uh, and how it pertains to you and your field. It could be a research article. It could be uh, something you saw in the National Enquirer and how you're going to use it in therapy. We want to hear how you sound on air. So January 24th, email those over, speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. So let's check in with everyone. How was the holidays? Mike, you're at the top of my screen. So of course you'll go first. Uh, how was your holiday? The holidays have been great. So we had uh, we had the baby's first Christmas, which was, which was very nice. Uh, you know, she was able to kind of rip a little bit of the paper and then lose interest very fast. Uh, but of course, she got showered from gifts by uh, both her grandparents. Uh, but it was nice. It was nice seeing family. You know, uh, this was right before Omicron really got kind of crazy. You know, we all knew it was going to blow up after. So, uh, of course, you know, I, I tested it myself before the holidays and uh, was negative. So I was able to go and kind of lay low uh, with the family. And it, it was nice. It was nice to get away. But uh I tell you, in this field, things pick up real fast. Uh, so it's almost, it's almost like there was no, what, today's Wednesday, we're recording on a Wednesday, and we've only been back for three days, and it feels like there was no vacation at all. Yeah, I was super excited to go back, and now on Wednesday, you're right, I was ready to uh, to call a three-day weekend in already. Did you see, when you mentioned the uh, testing for COVID, did you see that some of the testing manufacturers have asked people to stop testing things that the test was not made to test for? I, I think so. Not. What are they testing? <laughs> Milk, tap water, uh, <laughs> a couple other things. And they're like, yeah, it's, tests. yeah, they're like, it's not going to show any good results because we can't guarantee there's no weird proteins in your chocolate milk, man. So Michelle, how was the holiday down in the state of Texas? Uh, I wasn't here. I went what? to South Carolina. Yeah. Why? Because that's where my husband's from. Oh, okay. Fair. <laughs> uh, yes, we, we were in South Carolina uh, with family. Again, I know I told you all last time that my daughter was able to, she was born right before last Christmas. So she turned a year. Um, and then happy birthday. Thank you. Yes. The Laurel is a year old and she was able to meet Ohio family. Cause she had only met grandparents until she was almost a year old or already a year old and in Ohio. She was able to meet my extended family, her aunts and uncles and cousins. And then in South Carolina, she was able to meet aunts, uncles, cousins. Aww. And it was, it was really good. Just nice to have some connected quality time with family. 
You said you said her name was Yanni. <laughs> yeah, <you got laughs> it. exactly. Nice throwback, Mike. Nice throwback. Her shoes are both green and blue. And her dress is both yeah. blue and gold. There Did you? you uh, so I'm guessing you got out of South Carolina before the I-95 shutdown this week. Oh, I that wasn't looked, even aware. Of that. Yeah, that from Virginia, Virginia to Florida, some people were stuck for oh, 14 to 20 hours. Weather, right? It's yep, freezing. 14 yes. to 20 freezing hours. Cold. Yeah, terrible. We Ooh. we miss. We came back before the new year, right after Christmas. So uh, we okay. missed any of the bad weather? I mean, it's been even cold here. I mean, it, it's been in the 20s. So watch out. That's um, cold for Texas. That's very cold for Texas. So, um, but yeah, it was back up to 65 today. So wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, for me, our holiday, all of everyone had another Christmas because uh, our youngest Evelyn was born back in September. So this is her second Christmas. Um, and I want you guys to know of all the toys that my youngest daughter, who is just a little over 14 months, 15 months, however old she is at this point. Um, what is the thing that she enjoyed the playing with the most tonight? What would you guys like to take a guess? Any of the major Box. toys that she has? No, the boxes or the wrapping nope. or the bags. Nope, nope, nope. Mike? What toy did she want to play with? What, no. What did she enjoy playing with the most tonight? Your, your face. A potato that was sitting on the mm, table. Okay. <laughs> a potato and a roll of duct tape. And I was like, man, I'm so excited that we spent hundreds of dollars on your toys. And yeah, you played I mean, with there's... a potato tonight. Have you, have you all seen that viral video? This was a year or two right. ago of someone recorded their kid, I want to say a three-year-old maybe, opening a present and they just wrapped up a banana. They thought yes. it was going to be <laughs> yes. And yep. the kid was so genuinely excited. I think it was an, I think it was an, I think I think it was an avocado. It was an maybe somebody did it. I swear one did it with a banana too. Yeah. But the, I'm sure the, this is probably more of a thing. The avocado I'm kid loved the avocado. He's yeah. like an avocado. Thanks. Thank oh my god. So now much. I gotta start this. I've always wanted an avocado. Yeah, it's good. Um, yep, I'm gonna wrap a banana and an avocado for Evelyn next year. And we'll Perfect. see. We'll see what they like. Oh, so I'm excited because guess what we've got tonight? We've got our SS Pod <laughs> shout out, our SS Pod shout out, hashtag SS Pod shout out. It's an opportunity to recognize somebody in our field doing something awesome. And it goes to Sean Sweeney. Do you know who Sean Sweeney is? No, but hi, Sean. <laughs> Sean will be featured on Jeopardy on Friday, January 7th. So that by the time this episode airs, hopefully, Sean has unseated the current champ. Uh, Amy Schneider, I believe is her name. But no, Sean is also the speech techie. Uh, he's one of the SLP bloggers. So shout out to Sean being hey, on awesome. Jeopardy. Not bad. Watch now. I know. It's uh, where, what time does Jeopardy air for you guys? It's 7 30 here no in Cincinnati. Idea. I have no idea. No, Mike, what time's it air in Philly? 7 or 7 30? 7. 7. See? It, Mike will know the outcome it's before it's probably I seven six central because that's what the TV always says. It's seven thirty here in Cincinnati, Michelle. So, why is it seven thirty and seven? <sighs> All right, so let me put on my nerdy TV glasses. So Jeopardy is a show that is in syndication, and what they do is they sell it to local markets. It's not owned by ABC, NBC, or Fox or CBS. So they go into different markets and they say would you like to own Jeopardy in your market? And the TV market or TV station is like, we're the local ABC. Yes, we do. And then they decide 
who is going to be run first, Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune? Okay. So it is market I, to market. I have learned something new. I appreciate that, Matt. Same thing with like the Ellen show and all of the talk shows. They're all the same way. They get bid on by everybody. Okay. So, yeah. Good to there know. you go. Yep. And we have our due process. SSPod due process is an opportunity uh, or hashtag SSPod due process. It's an opportunity for somebody to bring up something to us to let us weigh in. And then also you at home can also email in uh, your reaction or go to the discord uh, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. All right. So here's the due process. It's from Lindsay through an email. It says, hey, gang, how would you handle a disconnect between your team and you when it comes to AAC use? I have a student who is competent in touch chat, or I'm sorry, is a competent touch chat user, but when they are in stressful situations, such as a science or social studies classroom, or situations where they do not have the vocabulary, they begin to shut down, don't use the device, and become or begin using behaviors. The team thinks the student is not capable, capable of being in the classroom or using the device, but in one-on-one sessions, the student is able to self-correct and edit sentences and touch chat. How would you guys handle it going forward? Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. Hey, that's a really it's actually the most detailed due process we've got. Forevermore, we want more of these. Thank you, Lindsay, for writing in. So that's a good question. How do you handle a disconnect in your team when you as the therapist are seeing one thing but the team is seeing something else in a completely different setting i mean we talk about generalization all all the time did she mention who all is on the team what professionals or no uh let's see disconnect between you and your team the team thinks the student is not capable of being in the classroom so no it does not say so it's probably the primary teacher i'm assuming it says uh, in the classroom versus in one-on-one session. So I'm assuming one-on-one is with Lindsay. Either, either SPED or, yeah. or with mm-hmm. the SLP. Um, hey, what I, what, I, I always, what I always say is if, if, if the child's able to do it one-on-one, they're able to do it in any environment. You know, there, there's, if they're doing it, if they're proving competency uh, in that one-on-one session, uh, it's, it's, it's really up to them to figure out why it's not happening in the classroom. What's the difference? What's happening? Uh, you know, what prompts are needed to self-regulate in that environment. But this, this student has already displayed competency. And Self-correction now, and editing. So now it's a matter of environment, not ability to be in the classroom. It's, it's the matter of uh, transitioning skills from one environment to the, and to coaching. the next. Coaching, and coaching them exactly. into that new environment. Yep. Yeah, so they, I, that's, that's it, Mike. You need to work on generalizing those skills if they've mm-hmm. already shown mastery in one setting but i think the question is how do you handle the disconnect between team. your team okay. and you here's an idea i, I don't think she <laughs> besides said, beating them senseless with the device until they listen to you i don't know i don't think she said in the email but are you able to do push in support um where you can go into the classroom and maybe you can kind of be the connection to um see where that disconnect is like what is it what setting is it what part of that setting is the breakdown for this child is it their overwhelmed sensory why you know there could be a factor that's not speech related that we need some support from ot or uh you know pt to help them in that environment to access the device and then it also could be opportunity or where the device is or is it being is it accessible or or 
available to them at the times we want it to be available. So um, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of things and how much does that team know the device? So depending what device it is, that you can always pull in the contact your rep from, you know, Dynavox or PRC because- um, Well, it says touch chat. So, I mean, it could chat, really sorry, be- say that. It yeah. could really be anything, a Forbes device, an iPad device. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it could be. Okay, well, people need to, the team needs to know how to use the device. <laughs> the and also get, get some good videos of the child using Ooh, it. Yeah, that's a good idea. Get some good videos you, and share with yes. the team. Come up with a plan. Mm -hmm. And then get in there and observe, even if you're not right with the kid, to try to observe a little bit or ask them if they can record, of course, with parent permission in the classroom too, um, to see what the difference is, compare them. There you go. I like it. Lindsay, we hope that helps. And if you've got a due process, uh, hit us up, SSPod due process. That's the hashtag. You can do it on the Discord. You can email us. Uh, you can do everything. Hey, guys, does my microphone sound a whole lot louder now? Sounds good. Yeah. Evidently, the beginning of the show, I wasn't even on the right microphone. So, hey. There you go. Not like we, we haven't done. still being picked up, though. We yeah, haven't hot. done an episode in eight that weeks, so mic. that is okay. All right, so let's jump my hot mic. Thank you, Mike. Let's jump right in. Uh, so I saw this article from thehill.com. It says two key predictions around special education in 2022, and I thought it hit home uh, perfectly for us. It says these predictions speak directly to the effects of COVID-19 pandemic on the public schools, their students and teachers, and on student outcomes. It is from uh, Sam Farmer on January 4th, 2022. So prediction number one, I want to hear your guys' reaction. A record-breaking number of special education evaluations will be completed for students without disabilities or learning and thinking differences. Well, if people are actually referring for all the kids that are going to show specific skills being behind, then yeah, in evaluations are likely to go up. Does that mean there will necessarily be more kids who qualify for IEPs? I don't know, but I wonder if there'd be more for 504 plans. Well, they say in a study by McKinsey and Company, 60 uh, students only learned about 67% of the math they were should have and 87% of the reading, which breaks down to about a three-month loss in math and a one-and-a-half-month loss in reading. Um, Is those, it... I yeah, I'm actually, I thought you were going to say it was more than that. No, I, like, <laughs> three and a half. But yeah, because I'm looking at that now, too. Yep. Um, so they're talking about how they're going to be referred for catch up period. So we need to be prepared for that. Like as RTI SLPs. style. There's going to be more yeah, RTI. More RTI. Well, of course, the, of course, the reading is super important. But a lot of these are just your straight up academic skills mm -hmm. that they get graded on that teachers teach to teach to the test to these state standardized and federal standardized tests. So it's okay, a lot true, of the- Okay, true, but not, we're lumping teachers here with that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but you know, like yeah, we, we have- Speech science. We, we love we you teachers to, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, 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 teachers are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Like there's teachers are, you know, this is this is just the way education is in this country is, is, uh, is test, 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 and everything gets, gets a score. And it all has to, and teachers are pressured to make sure their students uh, perform well on standardized testing. So they're just, you know, that it's just part of the system. Uh, now, what so, about now, though, when so much of that standardized testing, especially 2021, was just not done? 
Just yeah, right. <laughs> the, uh, no, so they're gonna, the state they're testing, bring, all that stuff was just not done. They're going to bring that back real fast because uh, there's way too much money to be made and there's way funding. too much funding uh, based on those standardized testing. So there's one year maybe when you know things were crazy, that's going to come right back. And those kids who missed the tests are going to get tested out the wazoo just as normally. If so schools- we have, yeah, so we have to differentiate between true important life skills, mm-hmm. speech skills, language skills, literacy skills, and skills that they're just they're going to forget two weeks after they graduate. If schools use their already, this is a quote from the article, use their already stretched thin special education resources for students without disabilities, 2022-2023 school year will see a special education shortage of sizable proportions adversely affecting students with learning and thinking differences. And I did think it was important that next part below what you just read, um, where I made a note on this was mm-hmm. where the, the article says what we remind our families in the schools, every family is entitled to request an evaluation for their child. So if a family is requesting an evaluation, it's just going to add to that backlog, right? Now, quote from the article, nonetheless, if a crisis involving special education resource exhaustion is to be averted, it will make good sense for schools to remind parents that inadequate instruction is a disqualifying consideration for special education Mm -hmm. eligibility under IDEA. So that's an important distinction to make, that a kid being behind because they missed six months, a year of, of solid instruction because of this pandemic is not a special education candidate if they were not exposed and taught the material. I believe in Ohio on the multifaceted evaluation, the MFE or the ETR, uh, I believe that is section three or section four, where there's a bunch of check boxes and they say, is this due to a lack of English proficiency? Is this due to a lack of, uh, what is it? Instruction or direct instruction. And there's a third Yes, no box. And I forget what that is as well. And Uh, just what I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. I think we're going to see more than, well, okay. The prediction is that evaluations will go up. I agree with that. The interventions, the treatments, the um, IEPs, I think we're going to see a whole lot more RTI and other. We've we've talked on air here before that RTI sucks. Like the way that we do it. I mean, not the the process. Equivalent of of RTI. RTI or equivalent interventions. I mean, we should be doing it better. And unfortunately, most of us do not do it correctly. And, and really, and, and really, in reality, the services that the vast majority of these kids really need is just some mental health counseling. True, too. And some, and some you know, reintegration and some social uh, for, the, for the social distancing they dealt with. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting you say the word reintegration. I'll just throw this in real quick. As mm-hmm. a military family, they use the term, the military uses the term reintegration whenever a soldier comes home from a deployment makes sense mm-hmm. um and so there's a reintegration period and they even talk about reintegrating into your not just into your unit back here work-wise but like reintegrating into your family and so i think it's that's such a good point mike that these kids are are yeah. reintegrating into are you telling me that my student that spent six months at home i shouldn't just like not worry about dropping them in the middle of the classroom and then i should probably write them up for misbehaving and doing things that they thought were okay at home. Are you saying that I'm doing it wrong? <laughs> oh, I, I have an administrator. That <laughs> hey, that brings me right into prediction number two. 
okay. if schools don't prioritize teachers' mental health, the achievement gap will widen dramatically for students with learning and thinking differences. And I think this feeds right back into what we've talked about for years about burnout. I was just talking to an SLP the other day in Ohio who is trying to quit a second job because the need is so much in their school district that they now have to commit full-time to the school district to take the stress off of other SLPs uh, that they work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this has been true since before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the pandemic highlighted, you know, just like it did with, you know, uh, our, our frontline healthcare workers, uh, it highlighted, you know, just how important teachers are and parents were introduced to the classroom, uh, you know, through virtual school and now we see firsthand how teachers are underpaid, undervalued, and underappreciated. And uh, yeah. Did, did you see the under the second prediction, the part that I highlighted? Um, here's a quote from the article. Nearly half of public school teachers who quit their jobs after February 2020 did so because of pandemic-related challenges including working longer hours, navigating the remote environment, and special education teachers who have been leaving the field at almost double the rate of general education teachers, citing stress, low pay, and risks to their own physical health. There you have it. 58% report burnout. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are you telling me? The free coffee truck and the once a month donuts are not enough to cover up the gaping stress of my life of trying to handle (laughs) And here's a mug with your school's logo on it. That if you leave, you (laughs) must return back to the front office, please. Please give us a $5 deposit. You will get it back when your mug is returned. I mean, (laughs) we talk about this all the time. And Mike, you're right. We've been talking about this in the before times when we could actually high five and handshake that burnout is so hard to combat and now we're seeing it in all areas. We're seeing it in vocational jobs. We're seeing it in fast food jobs. We're seeing it all over. And unfortunately, if somebody decides to walk out of Amazon or McDonald's because the burnout happens, our food or our products are delayed. If a teacher walks out of a school because of burnout, our kids suffer. Yeah. You got it, dude. <laughs> did we you fixed see our problems. The, um, on a connected note, but did you see that the author bio of these two predictions is an autistic adult? Yeah, diagnosed later in life. Yeah. I've been seeing cool. that a lot on Facebook lately. Of adults being diagnosed mm-hmm. later Adults in life. finding out that they have autism later on in life. Huh. So... We want to know your fact, your facts, not your facts, your thoughts, your opinions on the two key predictions. Uh, head up to our website, speechsciencepodcast.com or email us speechsciencepodcast at gmail.com. The second article, Michelle, we talked about our intelligibility percentages. Why are they hey, changing? Hey. Uh, I came across this looking through ASHA articles, and this is from October, uh, but I thought it was really interesting because I remember quite well learning kind of the basics general rule of thumb as the article even says that um you know children's the intelligibility speech intelligibility of kids um tell me if you guys were taught the same thing matt and i went to grad school together but 
roughly 50% intelligibility at about two years old, 75% uh, intelligibility at about three years old, 100% um, intelligibility. Of course, they can still make errors da, 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 at, um, at about four years old. And I did not know <laughs> until looking through this article that those are based on only parent report. Those norms that I've been using since I was a grad student are only based on parent report. And parent report is essential, but parent report is a familiar listener, usually has context to what a two or three or four-year-old wants or is talking about. And um, so I that piece alone in this article kind of blew my mind, but did you guys get a chance to read? Because I have a couple other notes, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I did not know that, you know, it, it's really, you know, when it's the parent, uh, of course, that's just like you said, is that added context. And really, you know, the whole point of intelligibility is for that unfamiliar listener uh, to really build up that intelligibility uh, when meeting new people and speaking in, in you know, in various environments. Uh, so I really found that really interesting. Uh, and uh, I, I think it's something to always be aware of and i think this is this is also an area that uh as technology gets more and more advanced where technology could really be introduced in terms of uh assessing an individual in, in individual's technology i know there's already several uh uh computer-based speech intelligibility tests uh but now with text to speech uh or speech to text whatever uh it's it's going to get more and more advanced well, and I'm seeing some of that just in my personal life with my now almost, well, yeah, as of yesterday, three and a half year old son that even our Alexa device, right? Yeah. He's not completely clear in his speech. He's three and a half, but Alexa can understand him when I don't expect the device to understand him <laughs> and he'll be playing a song that he wants to play. Alexa's learning. The, the part that I took away from this was, and as you said, Michelle, we learned th that 100% intelligibility comes at a younger age that it was at, what was it at 72, no, 78 months where they cross into that 95th percentile mm -hmm. is where I would feel like 95 on up. I feel like is you're at that almost hundred percentile, but mm -hmm. when we're talking about a 75 month old child, you know, we're talking about a seven, seven year, six year old. I apologize. A six year old. I did. I also laughed that they had to do the math there. They gave it all in months, which at least mm -hmm. they were consistent, but it's like the joke of, I, I, there's a, a range when people start referring to their kids age in months. Yeah. And I laugh when people are like, I have a 24 month old and I'm like, you have yeah. a but, but it's <laughs> right. And, but at six and a half is when we should be assuming intel, like complete perfect intelligibility. And I mean, well, the key on that. So what I took away from this, Matt, mm -hmm. and I, I kind of cut you off. Correct me, because I work with middle school and high school kids. I did one year of a tour of duty in the preschool, and I hated it and never went back. Uh, but you have three children, so yes. you've experienced the intelligibility piece as a familiar listener in mm -hmm. your own home. And as a familiar listener, probably fits a little better with that 50, 75, 100. Correct. By the time you're your oldest turned four, you probably understood everything he said. Oh, yeah. He's got a tongue thrust now, by the way. But yes, I understand. <laughs> okay. But like you have context, you probably understood most all of what he says with some, some errors, just like adults. Um, but what I took away is that when I'm explaining in speech intelligibility to my patients' families, I need to remember to explain to them, you as a parent 
are going to be able to understand a lot more. You're a familiar listener. And, but more research, review of research, this study being done at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and they said they recruited naive adult listeners for this study. So they recruited people to observe the intelligibility of these children with single word and multi-word utterances. And what it came out was, it's just like you said, it's pushed a little later. You know, that 50% is not till closer to four years old, roughly um, 75, closer to 75% intelligibility is closer to five years old. And you're not gonna get close to what Matt just described 90, 100% intelligibility until the child is about seven. And that's first or second grade. So reminding parents- I was muted, I apologize. Oh, go ahead. I saw you moving your mouth, but I was trying to fill in a little bit. But reminding parents and families, hey, our goal is to improve their intelligibility, but that's gonna be a little different when you go in the circles of connection around that child, like their close bubble circle, to people they see every week, to people they see every month, to people they only see at different times. This will be linked in the in the, the show notes, but I also think it's important for our clinicians that are testing these kids at the young age that a lot of times as parents, we have a tendency to compare, and we're all parents of young children. We compare our children to the best mm-hmm. of the kid. I mean- yeah. It, it, it's we want our kid to succeed and I love my oldest to death, but I compare how he does on the soccer field, not against kids that are similar in size, but against the best on the field. And I'm like, Oh, he's slower than that kid. How do we get faster? Well, that kid could also be the top percentage person in that, in his bracket. You know what I'm talking about? So when we look at intelligibility, we're looking at the age of, 48 months, the 90th percentile at the multi-word phrase, that is the 95th percentile. So when we're talking about kids that test, we're not talking about above average kids. We're talking about the top 5% of kids are at 90% or higher. And I think you're right. I think that helps. And then when we talk about going back to burnout, our clinicians need to, to kind of have this in the back of our minds also about deciding who is on a caseload and who's not on a caseload, unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's like using the Goldman Fristo with a middle school kid. They get two errors wrong. All of a sudden they're in the 40th percentile or no, I'm sorry, like the 20th percentile, you know, and if they get three errors, I think it's like eight percentile. Mm-hmm, which is why I always, I, I learned that lesson kind of the hard way, Matt, when I was in my first year, my CFY. Yeah. And I put, those percentiles real nonchalantly in one of my reports, my IEPs about a, at the time, middle school student who had special needs and multiple diagnoses. But um, thankfully his mom asked a question in the IEP meeting and was like, wait a second. I thought he was doing well on his speech because she read it and went, what in the world, you know, with this age equivalent and this percentile rank. And I had to be put on the spot to explain that and say, wait a second, if you miss three things, you're here. And, and I learned to, there's times, especially with special needs students that you don't give need to 
give those with not we don't give them without an explanation right what I say. well yeah. i use i use the golden fristo as a phonemic inventory and thanks to uh MT Mary SLP on Twitter. I have also changed the wording. I no longer use informal assessment. Uh, as she says, hey, can we stop? Can we please get rid of informal assessment? If you're assessing them and using your clinical judgment, it is formal. It's just perhaps not standardized. Don't lower your impact by claiming informal for what you do. I think so, you mentioned this last yeah. episode, right? So, so right, right, right. What do you call it? Uh, I used it actually in my last report. I called it a dynamic assessment for language yes, like and an dynamic. observational assessment for articulation. But mm-hmm. if I'm going to be doing an observational assessment, I'm also doing a phonemic inventory with the Goldman Fristo as an outline because I know those percentages are way off. What are you doing at home? SpeechSciencePodcast.com, SpeechSciencePodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how that affects you. And Michelle, leading into the interview for this week with Presence Learning, we talk about telepractice. We have the giveaway. So make sure you're over at giveaway.speechsciencepodcast.com. Enter your name and email address. And that will go, I believe, for 45 days or about six weeks. So the end of February, I believe, is that timeline. So yeah, February 28th is when we will shut down that and draw a winner. You're listening to Speech Science. And now for our regular research review, brought to you by the Informed SLP. The Informed SLP releases a monthly newsletter that brings you plain language reviews of only the newest, most clinically applicable research, keeping you up to date on advances in the field and saving you tons of time. So let's get to it. You say mild, I say mild, we all say mild. This is a review of the article, You Say Severe, I Say Mild, Toward an Empirical Classification of Dysarthria Severity, published in the Journal of Speech Language and Hearing Research. And this article is open access. How do you determine dysarthria severity in your clinical practice? Intelligibility? Resonance? How about listener effort? All of that or none of it? Stepanchik et al. investigated clinician-based severity ratings of normal, mild, moderate, severe, and profound when used to classify dysarthria severity in people with ALS. And it turns out that experienced clinicians are very good at judging the severity of dysarthria. Cue the collective sigh of relief from acute care SLPs who've written moderate dysarthria based on perceived severity alone. Clinician-based severity ratings had great intra-rater and inter-rater reliability and were valid when compared against four other severity measures percent intelligibility, speaking rate, intelligible speaking rate, and listener effort. For example, as intelligibility scores worsened, so did severity ratings. 
While intelligibility is often used as a proxy for dysarthria severity, intelligibility alone may not be sensitive enough to detect subtle speech changes. Listener effort was more accurate in distinguishing between clinician-rated severity groups at the mild end of the continuum, and it yielded the strongest validity for classifying severity. So, don't put all your eggs in one basket when rating severity. Here's a simple way to measure listener effort during your next motor speech assessment. First, obtain a reading sample using stimuli like the rainbow passage or the grandfather passage. Then, for each sentence, use a visual analog scale to rate how effortful was it to understand the client, zero being most effortful and 100 being the least effortful. Then, calculate the average visual analog scale score and use the following table to determine severity. Normal, VAS score greater than 90. Mild, 44 to 90. Moderate, 25 to 43. Severe, 12 to 24. And profound, less than 12. And hmm, this visual analog scale sounds awfully familiar, doesn't it? VAS scores like this one have been found to align well with intelligibility scores as well. No time for audio recording, ratings, or math? The good news is that if you have at least two years of experience working with individuals with dysarthria, then your use of adjectives like mild, moderate, or severe aligns well with other measures of severity. So. Don't overcomplicate it. Trust your gut. Thanks for listening to this review. If you're interested in more, come visit us at www.theinformedslp.com. Tell us how you put the research into practice or find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at The Informed SLP. Welcome back to Speech Science. I'm Matt Hot, joined by Michelle Wintering. How's it going? And Michael McLeod. What's up, buddy? All right. So on the backside of the show, we're going to do one of my therapy sessions very quickly. We're going to play a quick game of Wordle. Michelle, Mike, come up with a five-letter word. This is all audio on a podcast, so Ooh, okay. make it as entertaining as possible because the people at home are unable to see the screen. So, Mike, you can go first. Give me a five-letter word. Any five-letter word, keep it clean. Cannot wow. be a name. Cannot be a name. <laughs> Cannot be a name. Wow. Uh, man. Wow is three letters. Does not work. How about belong? B-E-L-O-N. Too many letters, Mike. Wait, hold on. State. State. I like it. Oh, S-T- I was doing the six down. A- I, was just, I was doing down. E. Down. All right, so Michelle, the T and the E are correct, but they are in the wrong place. All right, Mike, can you give us a five-letter word to help us figure out what this mystery five-letter word is? Uh, What letters are correct? T and E are in the word, but they are not in the location 
that was in the word state. So they are not in the second or the fifth spot. Oh man. Uh, Can I go? Can I go? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's audio. So we need help. Teach. All right. T E A C H. So the T is in the right spot. The E is in the wrong spot. A C H are not in the word. Okay. We have four chances left. Oh, this is crazy. This is what I do in my therapy sessions. This is crazy. This, this is, is so uh, fun in, this, in therapy. I love that you go, you say this is crazy. So uh, T is correct. T is correct. And the E is in the wrong spot. So we T. now know the E is not in the second spot and it is not in the fifth spot. Damn. T H E E or A. There. Oh. Well, A C O A, which are there? T H E I R E R. Okay. E I R. Yeah. All right. So, ooh, okay, ooh. Michelle. We now know the T and the R are correct, and there is an E and an I, but the H is incorrect. So, Michelle, this is how I would do it in therapy. Right. Let's look on the board. We see the E cannot be in the fifth spot. We know it cannot be in the second or the third spot. Where is the E? I'm right, trying to look right, and right look before at. the R. Yeah, yeah, it'll be in the fourth yep. spot. Yep. So that means the I has to be where? Uh, I'm writing it down. I know, yeah. I'm writing it down too. So, so at home, the, the I will either be in the second or the third spot. So let's come up with some words that start with T and end with E-R and maybe start with T-I. Tiger. Let's try it. Tiger. T-I-G-E-R. And look at that. Wow. We solved it. Yes. Wow. I love this game already. What is so, it called? Wordle? Wordle. W-O-R-D-L-E. I use it with my vocabulary and language kids. And we start off our therapy sessions with it. And sometimes they last for about 15 minutes. And the kids really love it because... You know, it's a group activity. Uh, however, I did it this morning and my one kid like was like, uh, how about a cat? And I was like, oh, no, dude, cat's three letters. And he goes, oh, no, no, no. Like, what's the Bengal mascot? It's like a big orange and black cat. Oh. And another kid was like, well, that's a tiger. And he's like, let's do tiger. And I was like, no, don't do tiger. Because I knew it was the right word. And they were all like, oh, we're doing tiger. And they my, guessed it on the first try. Yep, my 15 minute, my 15 minute therapy session was done in one minute. When How the you kid get it was on like the tiger. How do you uh, find it online? Uh, it's actually powerlanguage.co.uk backslash Wordle. So uh, I just Google just Wordle. On. Okay. I'll have the yep. link. I'll have the link for you. It's a new word every day. So here's the helpful hint. If you're doing it, I love that they guessed. <laughs> I know, right? If you're doing this with your therapy kids, you have to open up the inco incognito browser. Because if not, oh, it will save on it Google. on okay. Google. It'll save it and you'll be unable to do the puzzle again. So you have to do the puzzle in the incognito browser so you can do it with multiple groups in a day. Nice. Yeah, I that's like your it. little word away. So at this part of the show, as we're wrapping up, wrapping up, we do the ASHA spotlight and is our opportunity to look at something good or bad that ASHA is doing. It's a lot, it's very easy to point out some of the things that they're doing that make us question it. Uh, the things that they're doing positively, I, I am $300 poorer. And that is the ASHA spotlight. Remind yourself to go on in. And if you are holding your C's, 
you got to renew them. I think the extension is what, January 31st? Yeah, it's coming up soon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they also have a waiver that if you're financially unable to do it, you are able to request uh, a waiver for your C's. Are we all C holders here? Mm. Of course. I was having a discussion online, which I should never do, and about how everyone's mad that the C's are required. And it's like, they're not required. It's just every job wants them. So, I mean, yeah, they're technically required, but not by ASHA. Well, so it depends on your state. Some states require it for license. Yeah. What? What? For real? Yep. Says the guy licensed in one state and one state only. Is it really? Sure is. Oh, well, on the state. that's dumb. <laughs> All right. Now I agree. Now I'm back on the other side. That's stupid. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do appreciate that. I have my C's because it's made getting my license in different states easier because oh, I agree. I've already met a certain bar. Um, but I, I can, I also know people who are not moving state to state and don't live in a state where it's required and don't have it anymore. I just meant it's stupid. Need it either. I just meant it's stupid that a state would require the ASHA C's. Oh. That's what I meant was stupid. Not that the C's were stupid. I was on one of their billboards. Yeah. I know it's not stupid. I was the power <laughs> of the C's. That's right. There you go. <laughs> All right. The music is playing underneath of us. That means the show is almost over. So, Michelle, you get to go first here. Non-therapy related, unless it's the Wordle game. What are you looking forward to uh, in the next week or two? Downloading Wordle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have signed up both of my children for swim lessons. Ooh, fun. The local YMCA down the street from us. And uh, who is doing the swim lessons? Is it the policeman, the construction worker? I'm confused. Oh, man. Oh, the YMCA. Now I get it. <laughs> I used to work at a YMCA too. I taught swim lessons at a YMCA for about six years. Did you have to wear the costume? No, <laughs> I wore a swimsuit because I thought swim lessons. Um, now, I mean, for a second, I thought you were asking like what my son was going to dress as because that would be a fair question. He so you're going as dragon, minotaur, or fish? Um, more likely firefighter, construction fair, worker, fair. Um, police officer. All right, that's fair. Um, but yes, so they will both, my daughter who just turned one and then my son who is three and a half um, will both be doing some swim lessons with they're the parent child. Swim oh, okay. Okay. And with, um, with COVID restrictions, it's a very small group and wonderful. Um, the instructor, which is good and bad is not in the water. So they uh. tell us what to do, but, uh, having taught those classes, even though years ago, I really wish they were in the water because I know what to do with my kid. I've taught these swim lessons, but my kid doesn't always want to do them with me. <laughs> like they would like to do it with, they were, they're sometimes more likely to listen to someone else. I, I hate my kid, the idea of my kid drown. I mean, not that it's unique as a parent to not want your kid to drown. I would be the worst person to be in the pool with my kid because I'd be like, there's heads under the water, get them up. <laughs> That's why they have like glass and I have to sit behind the glass that like my kids can't hear me at their swim lessons, but that'll be fun. Swim lessons are good. Get the kids safe around the pools. Mike, non-therapy related. What are you looking forward to this week? 
Oh man, uh, probably that's a great question since everything revolves around therapy. Uh, just you know, just some one-on-one baby time, man. You know, yeah. uh, you know just you know, no, no babysitter, no nothing. Just you know, going outside and having fun with the baby. Wonderful for myself. Uh, over break, I, meant, I forgot to mention this. My sons and I finally finished the Butler County Donut Trail. So this was something we started before you the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, we started this before the pandemic, and then we had to take a break because I got diabetes and then the pandemic. So we had to take a small break, but we finally finished it. So we're going to go turn in our cards and get shirts this week, I think. So nice. yeah, you get shirts. Yeah. Picture of the shirt. So the nice thing is, is that by doing the donut trail over two and a half years, I'm pretty much in the same size shirt that I was when I started the donut trail. If I would have done the donut trail in like a week, it would be a definitely a different shirt size. I can guarantee that. Because <laughs> I gained so much weight from the donuts, Michelle. Yep, that's fair. <laughs> okay. All right. Anything else before we wrap this baby up? Wrap it up. All right. We want to hear from you. So make sure you write in. It is speech science podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us over at the Discord, discord.speechsciencepodcast.com. Uh, we're going to have a new shirt. We've been designing it right before the show. Uh, it is a Be a Willow shirt that'll hopefully be up by the end before the show is even on air. And you can find that at merchandise.speechsciencepodcast.com. And of course, uh, did you say it's a one year uh, to presence learning? A one year subscription. One year subscription. Go over to giveaway.speechsciencepodcast.com. I'm not sure if you call it a subscription, but one year access. It'll all work. Uh, So we want you to go over there and we'll also have those links in the show notes. Our opening music was Please Please Listen Carefully by Jazar License Under an Attribution and Share Alike License. Bump music was County Fair Rock, copyrighted John Deku. Find his music at soundcloud.com slash dirtdogmusic. The informed SLP was the count by, or I'm sorry, at the count by Broke for Free, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution. And the closing music, it's a slow burn by Kevin McLeod, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution uh, license. In the immortal words of Janice Wright, always be a willow. The oak looks strong until the storm, and then it'll crack under the storm. The willow will bend and then return to its graceful form when the pressure is relieved. For fellow willows, Michelle and Michael, I am Matt. Until next week, so long, everybody. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Not bad, guys. Hey. Science is edited and produced by MWH Production. Please follow Speech Science on Twitter at SpeechSciencePC and like our page on Facebook. And rate and subscribe to our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts.